everybody. It's good to see you. I am Josh. <clears throat> I have a little phlegm in my chest, so sorry about that. Uh, it, I'm going to be teaching today a couple of quick announcements. One, if you didn't see these two side screens, this is the time, third, fourth, and fifth graders, so that you don't have to put up with me for the next hour and a half. <laughs> I don't know if he's joking or not. Um, uh, for the next four, 30 or 40 minutes, uh, you, can be the, you can head on out to the lobby. It's safe. Jason will be teaching the same stuff, so now's the time to do that. What you just saw was a, a, a bumper video, a trailer, or a promo video, whatever you uh, you call it, on what we're going to be doing over the next uh, several months. Essentially, I mean, I, we're going to talk a lot about theology today. It'll be a lot of fun. I'll get to, to, to use big words and explain them. But if, if we were to boil everything down, if we were to take everything down and kind of establish what it is we believe as a church, okay? Here is, here's what it is in a nutshell. We believe that you should hear from God and do what he says, Right? We believe you should hear from God and do what he says. So the, the question always becomes, well, how do we hear from God? And then how do we help you do what he says? And so uh, hopefully you, you've noticed that with these, these two new Bible studies that we're going to be offering at 9 o'clock, one is helping you understand the person of God. We're going to walk through the whole Bible, 31 sessions uh, from really Genesis to Revelation to give you a real picture of who God is, right? And so we want you to understand God, but not just so we could fill your head with more information, right? But because we want you to apply it. And so depending on where you are in the journey, if you're just now trying to figure out, okay, I want to discover a little bit more about God, I want to know a little bit more about God, I want to figure out this whole Bible thing, then that would be a really good class for you to be in next week at 9 a.m. Now, if you're already like, I, I get that, I want to know how to more tangibly do something, like I want to tangibly do something for the kingdom, then uh, my suggestion would be to show up next week, connect with Clay in our Sunday school class that will be talking about crazy love, which is really, how do we... How do we discover what God's called us to do and go chase after it with abandonment? And so those are, those are some offerings. And we don't, we, we don't count these numbers. We don't have any list of how many people we have in Sunday school. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with wanting to chase after life with you. Like we, we, you'll see it all over the place here. 2013 is the year of the family. If you're here, we want to be family. We want to get you out of rows. We want to get into circles. We want to get you out of the foyer. We want to get you in the living room. And eventually, we want to get you in the kitchen with us, cooking and chasing after God together. So the easiest way to do that, the easiest way to do that would be to show up next week at 9. I'd actually recommend showing up about 8 or 8.30 and grabbing some breakfast. And at 9 o'clock, uh, we'll, we'll jump into some uh, Sunday school, Bible study, whatever you want to call it, classes, where people get in circles and try to figure out Jesus. So if you've never, if you don't even believe in Jesus at this point, go ahead and show up and let's start working through the story with you um, and make some new friends. There will be no pressure. You're not going to be asked as soon as you get in there to pray aloud or any of those things. I mean, there's, there's zero pressure in the deal. Um, but I'd love for you to jump in the middle of that. A couple other things I want you to know about um, student ministry, which is we're really glad if you're 6th through 12th grade, you're here. But there actually is a, a perfect family for you that meets here every Wednesday night at 630. And we want you to be a part of that. And I think I saw a posting this, this week of, man, if you're a mom or dad or grandparent or college kid, let me just encourage you, just if nothing else, this next Wednesday, just show up here anyway. You know, show up here. Don't be a creeper or nothing, but show up here. And um, if you need to stand in the balcony or worship with them, I, you will be blown away by what's going on in our student ministry because those guys and gals, they love Jesus. They're not embarrassed by it. They, like, I would love for you just to come worship with our band and watch uh, these students worship and then listen to Dane challenge them and um, 
to chase after God. And so that's at 6.30 every Wednesday night. Um, also, about the same time, a Jared will be leading kind of a, a, a prayer service here at the church because we do believe what, uh, that the way that our dreams are underwritten, the way that all those things happen is not because you have a bunch of gifted people or smart people. Trust me, there's none of those in, 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 in the, the list of the, the, the top of, of, of the leadership in this deal. Paul's a little bit smart. Paul, Paul you're a little bit smart. Um, but uh, it's because we beg the Lord to move, and he has. And so for some of you, that is, you want to learn about prayer. For some of you, you just want to get on your face and pray. And again, not going to be awkward. We're not going to force anything on you. Uh, but we'd love for you to come be a part of that. That's seven as well. Also, on Wednesday nights, we have a women's Bible study that meets here. So there's plenty of ways to connect. Speaking of connections, right after the service, if you want to continue to... Uh-oh, there we go. Or if you want to start helping make this place a really comfortable environment so people can show up on Sundays, whether it's with opening doors, greeting, uh, helping with the parking lot. There'll be a very brief meeting immediately following the service out in the lobby for our connections team, which is basically how do we make this place better than Disney World when people walk in? I mean, really, that, that's really the conversation. If, if our God is a much bigger deal than Mickey Mouse, right? And we believe that. If our God's a much bigger deal than Mickey Mouse, how do we prepare the way, remove obstacles so that people can see him? And so if you're interested in jumping in and serving, that'd be a, a great area to do that. One last announcement, and then, um, then we're going to jump into John 18 and 19 today. Um, if you're a first-time guest, 10th-time guest, 100th-time guest, if whatever that looks like, you've been a part of this deal for a while, we really want you to be family. In fact, I'll be so bold to say you need to stop visiting churches because you're supposed to be a part of this one because this is your family. Like, I mean that. Like, I know the folks in this place and they're going to chase after you. They're going to fight for you and fight with you. This is, we want to be your family. We believe that's what God's called us to be. And so, um, if we would love to be able to pray for you, support you, know what's going on in your life. You got surgery, you got stuff going on. Please, please, please let us know. And um, the way you can do that is there's connect cards. As you, as you exit here, you'll see big stacks of them in the lobby uh, that you can give us your information. If you want to serve, hey, I want to be in children's ministry. Great way to do that. You want us to have your email address so that we can keep you posted on what's going on here. That card is the way to do that. If you have any prayer requests, please fill those out. We take them very seriously. And so if you would do that uh, at the end of the service as you leave on your timing, uh, that would be wonderful. Now I'm going to pray and then we're going to jump right into what I believe to be some really exciting but, but, but hefty material. And so we'll, we'll see what God does. So let's pray. Uh, Jesus, you're kind and you're loving and you're gracious. And I'm, God, in all reality, I'm a little overwhelmed to think that we're going to talk about you as a king in a, in a world that we don't really understand kings. We understand tyrants. Um, and so Jesus, in, in the middle of... Uh, of this deal, would you just reveal your character to us? Would you reveal your nature that you're good and you're loving and you're gracious and you're kind and you proved it all on a cross for us? So God, as we, we work through these details of looking at you as a good and perfect and capable king, God, um, man, would you give us ears to hear and a heart to receive? And God, man, I recognize all across this room, people are hurting and struggling dealing with sickness, uh, dealing with family issues. I mean, there is just a mess in this world that we live in. And so, God, I just pray uh, for just a few minutes that you would be truth and that you would be light and we'd find you and rest in you um, uh, this morning. Uh, Jesus, we're going to teach from your word. And uh, you tell us that your word never returns void. And so, um, God, I trust that. So uh, thank you for this morning. Uh, 
God, in the words of John the Baptist, would you decrease me so that you can increase? God, if I speak out of turn, uh, would you strike it from the record, strike me mute, or strike me dead if necessary, Lord, for your words to be presented. I pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, we're going to be in John 18 and 19. We're going to bring the lights up a little bit so you're going to be able to see your Bibles, but I'll also have them here, and uh, it'll be up here. But before we jump into the Bible, I, I need to explain a couple of words to you, okay? Um, there's uh, uh, maybe a... Well, maybe this isn't, this isn't real sexy talk. I mean, what I mean by that is, you know, like this isn't what you'd have on a Super Bowl ad or whatever. But there's, well, I find it very, very uh, exciting, but you may not. Um, uh, there's a couple of different pieces of theology that we just got to start with foundationally, okay? I'm not, some of you already know this. Some of you know it better than me. I'm not talking down to you like you're dumb or talking up to you like you're smart. I'm just going to kind of lay it out there because I'm having to discover it as I go and, and, and uh, I you know, hope you will as well. There's this idea that we talk about, and it's called doctrine, okay? Doctrine we talk about in the Bible a lot, but doctrine just literally means this. Just a set of principles you live by. That's it. Doctrine is just a set of principles you live by. For example, don't eat yellow snow. It's doctrine. It's a doctrine of yellow snow, right? It's that simple. Doctor, uh, you know, there's a doctrine of don't spit in the wind. You follow me? You know, like those are just, doctrine is just the idea of principles that we live by. There's this understanding based on experience, based on fact, based on discovery that we just live by. And so when we talk about the word doctrine in the Bible, it literally is just a set of principles based on God's character. It's really that simple. So these aren't big words. Or that, when you hear the word doctrine, you're like, oh, goodness, I've heard churches split over it and fight over it and all that kind of stuff, which is the case. But there's, there's two major things that, that we talk about in doctrine. There's lots of them. But there's two doctrines that we're going to cover today. And one is the doctrine of foreknowledge. Okay? The doctrine of foreknowledge. And the other one is the doctrine of sovereignty. So basically what these are are just principles understanding who God is and how he operates based on his character. Because we have to see as we look through scripture, um, based on who God is, therefore who am I? Based on what God says and does, therefore what should I say and do, right? And so the doctrine of foreknowledge basically says this. God stands outside of time. There wasn't a beginning and an end until we came along and messed the whole thing up. Right? I mean, it was never meant that for, I mean, think about it. You get to the end of your life, no one says, wow, I just feel like I should, man, that went by real slow, you know? Goodness, I was hoping 100 years would get here faster. You know, no one ever talks about how, like, slow time moves. Like, maybe you do, you talk about, like, in, in the realm of labor. Like, I remember when Julie was having Briggs, and it was, like, this 36-hour process. That time, that time went slow, but collectively, like, you know, overarching, brushstroke it, we never say, wow, time just moves real slow. In fact, when we get to the end of the deal, what do we say? Man, it went so fast. Every time we take our beautiful, beautiful children into a restaurant, every time, someone comes in and says, you know, they walk by and say, just cherish those moments, right? Because they'll go a lot quicker than you realize. And I'm like, really? Heck yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I'm just joking. Not really at all. Julie and I want to go to Europe. And so, um, <laughs> but you know, but none of us ever say that, right? Because inside of us, there's this idea that we were wired to live outside of time. Death, disconnection happened because of our disobedience, right? So time is, there's a beginning and an end, but that's only for us. We're a baby. We go back to the grave. That's a start and stop. We see that. God is the alpha. God is the omega. I can't explain it better than that because the idea of God always being, it says in the beginning God was, which is the most scary and the most comforting thing I've ever read anyway, right? In the beginning God was, so God is outside of time. What that means is God has this foreknowledge. What's happening in our future, God is already aware of and already prepared for and already working it together, okay? So God has foreknowledge, meaning he knows exactly what's going to happen to us. This is a battle for us because you know what we try to attempt to have. 
It's foreknowledge. Okay, if I go 68 miles per hour today on the way from church, because I'm running a little late, I'm hoping and I have foreknowledge that a cop is not going to be sitting in the median at 7.30 in the morning. There was a cop sitting in the meeting. Luckily, I was just driving slow and singing worship songs because I'm a pastor and I'm a Christian and that's what I do. <laughs> but, you know, we operate with this foreknowledge. We're always trying to predict the future, right? Stocks, hey, real estate, all these different things. We've all had some good experiences. We've all had some bad experiences, but we all have this idea of foreknowledge. Well, the problem is we don't have foreknowledge. We're in time. God isn't, right? So God's outside of that. The doctrine of foreknowledge basically is a comforting thing to say that God is everywhere in all dimensions, at all times. There's nothing, God is never caught off guard. He never walks into a room and someone jumps out behind the door and says, boo, and God wets himself. You know, like, that never happens anywhere. Like, God is never surprised by anything. Never, never surprised, right? So one doctrine we've got to understand is the doctrine of foreknowledge. The other one, which goes really, really well with it, is what's called the doctrine of sovereignty. And here's what it means. God is all-powerful. He is always, at all times, because he has foreknowledge, because he's working everything together for his good, for all those things, God is always active and living and moving for his glory and our good. Always. There's never a time that God's like, hey, I'm just going to let that one pass. Oh, well. There's, God is always, you see, because what we do is we say, oh, here's where I am, right? This is where I want to be. You know, like, oh, I am not going to pass that test. How many of these answers can I write on my hand, right? And we begin the process of trying to align where we are and where we think we're supposed to be, right? So we spend all of our time doing it, right? Or, um, uh uh-oh, I shouldn't have done that. If my wife finds out, I'm in big trouble, so let's lie about it, right? In other words, this is where I am going to cause a lot of trouble. My wife doesn't need to know I bought that TV or my wife doesn't need to know that thing. My wife doesn't need to know I looked at that, whatever it is, right? This is where I am. So somehow I need to bend the rules. I need to realign it where, where I am and where I need to be need to come back together, right? And most of our life, because we don't know what's going to happen in the future, we're trying to predict the future. We're trying to bend the rules to make it fit for us, right? That's what we, all of us do. Lie on our resume, say whatever we need to, so that where we are and where God wants us to be, oh, goodness, I really need that money in the future. I think I'm going to have to not report that on my taxes, right? We all do it. We all have those things. And so this is where we are. This is where we need. And we spend all of our time and our energy trying to predict the future and therefore trying to Align the present to make it happen, right? And this just gets so exhausting. And every now and then, we get them to connect, right? And we're like, oh, oh, And then the time, moment you align where you are and where you wanted to be happen, you run out of strength, right? You only can do this so long. Well, the doctrine of sovereignty says, at all times, God is aware of the future. And he's bending it to get us where it brings him glory and is good for us. The doctrine of sovereignty said there's never a moment that God is not in the middle of it, all powerful, all capable, and bringing things together. Genesis 15:19, Joseph says this way when his brothers are apologizing. Oh, what you meant for evil, what you meant for evil, God intended it for good, right? Romans 8:28 says, for we know that God works all things together for the good for those who have been called according to his purpose, for those who love God. So we have this deal. And so we spend all of our time thinking, I don't know what the future holds, so let me try to bend it in a way that makes it work for me. The doctrine of foreknowledge, the doctrine of sovereignty. Those are words we've got to understand as we see this interaction right before Jesus' death. 
Understand, Jesus is fully aware. He has foreknowledge. He has all those things. He's fully aware of all those things. And so because he's fully aware of them, he's having this conversation with Pontius Pilate. He's about to be, um, he's about to be tried for murder and then flogged and then beaten and put up on a cross. And so Jesus, being all-powerful, could bring a, a billion angels into the realm and fight for it. Right then if he wants to, right? All-powerful. But Jesus, having foreknowledge, knowing exactly what needs to happen, submits to God's will. And I just want you to see how this plays out. On both sides, you've got God and Jesus, God's son, who are working things together for our good and his glory at the same time. And you have a bunch of people who are trying to predict the future and trying to control the situation. I just want to read it. This is John 18, beginning with verse 33. We're going to read for a while. So here's what it says. Pilate entered the headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So Pilate asked him very clearly, Are you the king? Here's what he says. Jesus answered, do you say this on your own accord or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, am I a Jew? In other words, look, I don't have nothing in this other than I somehow am an official and I'm going to have to deal with this. I feel pretty incompetent about it. I'd rather not do this. I just, let's just get through this, okay, Jesus? Let's not play these games. No, I'm not, I'm not a Jew. You know, this is a Jew issue, but I'm in it because somehow I'm a Roman and Romans are in charge of the Jews. I don't understand how to explain to you all the geopolitical history here. Jesus, you're a Jew. I'm not. Let's just get past this, right? That's what he says. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? You own your own nation and chief priests have delivered you over to me. In other words, hey, your religious people who you say you belong to, they want you dead. They want you out of the way. In other words, they're trying to predict what will happen if you stay in the course of history, right? If you stay on this planet, they're thinking, uh-oh, it's, not, it's bad for our regime. Our offerings are going to go down. People are going to start going to his church, whatever it is. So they start playing this game. If we can just make him die, everything works out, right? Jesus answered, my kingdom, my kingdom. Real, real important here. In this moment, Jesus declares something pretty unique. He doesn't say it by answering the question. He just makes a statement in the next sentence. He says, my kingdom. Implying, meaning that he has a kingdom. Meaning that he's in charge of something. Meaning that he's sovereign over something. Meaning that he rules over something. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of the world... My servants would have been fighting. In other words, look at this. Yeah, yeah. You're asking if I'm a king. If you're asking if I'm a king over these, this like little Jewish cult right here, my kingdom's not of this world. If it were, I'll tell you. These, this little Jewish cult, I would destroy. I would. I would, I would punch them all in the throat, personally. You know, because I am Jesus, but I can have octopus arms if I want them. You know, that's what he's saying here. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Jesus never had octopus arms. He could have, but he never did. I can't find it in scripture anywhere. What did you learn at church today? Oh, I learned that Jesus had eight arms. (laughs) My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Ha, got you, right? Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. And Pilate's like, come on, Jesus. Like, remember, this is y'all's quarrel. I just feel like the tug of war rope, you know? You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I've come into the world. To bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. In other words, he says, look, I came to present what truth is, and you don't need another idea. You need some action, right? You've seen a bunch of people talking about a bunch of stuff that you say or think. And she said, I, need to, I came to bear witness. In other words, I came to give an example, a perfect example, to give you know, documentation of what truth is. Truth is... I love humanity. 
and all of its flaws and all of its nastiness. I love humanity, and I'm going to die for it. Because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, meaning all humanity deserves to be disconnected. They deserve to fit into that birth, death timeline, and then spend eternity disconnected from me. That's truth. But because I am good and I am sovereign, I am also here to show you how I can bend the rules. Here they are. God is disconnected from man, right? I want to show you that there's a way by bearing witness to the truth, by providing it, that I'm going to bend the rules and sustain them forever because I'm sovereign, right? So that's what he says. He continues. He says this. Pilate said, what is truth? Um, if you have some in- interest in that, Legree and Jared taught on this, that specific passage uh, three weeks ago. Um, after he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. So Pilate walks out and says, look, I don't know to tell you. You're saying he needs to die. I'm not finding any guilt. Can I go home? You know, like there's a uh, UNC's playing Duke and Duke's going to destroy UNC. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, that's a basketball game between two teams. You're like football. That sounds exciting. <laughs> this is the South. I don't want to hear about UNC and Duke playing football. Anyway. Um, after he said that, he went back outside the Jews and told them, I find no guilt. Verse 39, but you have custom that, hey, will somebody in the back make reference to never, or never make another joke about Duke and UNC? It's pointless in this, from this, this realm. Okay. Um, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let me explain to you what's going on here, okay? Um, because like, it's like this, this Jewish ritual kind of reminding us of the Passover, the Passover from the Old Testament where basically God freed people from captivity, right? They were slaves to, to the Pharaoh in Egypt and God kept showing up and saying, look, if you don't let my people go, I am going to destroy you. And he gave them all these plagues, crazy stuff, turned like blood or rivers into blood and all sorts of stuff with frogs and all sorts of crazy things. And then the final one, he said, look, if you don't do what I say, I'm going to kill your firstborn child. And Pharaoh kind of laughed and said, whatever, you're not going to do that, God. And what God said, he gave this decree, he made this announcement, hey, look, if you'll kill a perfect lamb, go slaughter it, and just put the blood over the doorpost, this night when the angel of death passes over and I kill all of Egypt's firstborns for their disobedience, I'm going to pass over yours, and I'm going to free you from captivity. So this whole idea of the Passover was that God, while we deserve punishment and death, God passed over us and showed us grace. So one of the things that they did every year to remember this is they, they would free someone who was captive, right? The same kind of symbolic picture that we have is we're, that they were, they were held captive by Pharaoh, that whether they deserved it or not, their disobedience, but because of that, God freed them from captivity. So at the Passover, they had, had this big pardon, you know, like a pardon like presidentials get to do, presidents get to do. Usually at the end of the second term, you'll see someone come up and pardon all sorts of people. They're like, hey, pardon this person for stealing $50 million or whatever it is and pardon them and just free them, right? Well, they had the same system within their culture that they could free one person. there, And so Pilate tries to manipulate or tries to suggest to them, right? He says this, hey, here's what you should do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to call him uh, not guilty, but if you want him to be guilty, that's fine. But here's the loophole. Why don't you just free him? Then everybody's happy, right? In other words, Pilate's trying to explain, hey, foreknowledge is he doesn't need to die. And sovereignty means I'm trying to bend this to the rules. Let's, let's just, uh, I'm not going to call him guilty. You can call him guilty. That way I'm clean from it. You're still kind of Guilty so the people who are angry about it get happy that Jesus is found guilty of something, right? But then at the same time, nothing bad's going to happen because then you can free him, right? That's the suggestions they make. And they say, no, give us that thug Barabbas, you know? Like, give us the guy who, like, eats people. I don't care. Anybody but Jesus, give me that guy, right? In other words, here it is again. They have this foreknowledge that if somehow Jesus continues to live, 
It's going to be bad for them. They have this, this arrogance and this self-righteousness, and they believe they're sovereign enough that they can bend the rules to make what they need to happen, happen. And so in the middle of this, they're saying, no, 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 let's just kill Jesus. Let's continue. That's what it says. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. I don't want to play with your emotions, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about flogging, but it's, it's horrid. It's horrid. Like the, Jesus was beat. Gruesomely. Humiliatingly. And this one says, Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. Verse 2, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put on his head a raid in a purple robe that came up saying, Hell, King of the Jews. Completely sarcastic, right? And struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So he's like, he brings him back. Hey, look, he's flogged. That kind of stuff's happened. Let me bring him back. Is that enough, guys? Like, really, is that enough? This is a good man, and you're just destroying him. Isn't that enough, right? Like, let's just call it quits there. Look, you've seen that. It's done. Let me bring him back out to you. Look, he is beaten, and he is bloody. Can't that just be enough? Can't I just bring him back to you? And they respond. When the chief priests and the officers, this is verse 6 said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him. Find no, find no guilt in him. Right? The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to the law, he ought to die because he has made himself the son of God. Well, his dad actually did, but fair enough. When the Pilate heard this, when the Pilate... <laughs> When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. In other words, Jesus is like, look, we can have a conversation about it. I can explain to you this whole thing. I can explain to you how in the beginning I was needed. I can explain to you that I was working through Moses. I can explain how I was working through Abraham. I can explain how I was working through Noah. I can explain how even with John the Baptist showing up and declaring that I'm him, I'm him. I can explain all those things to you, but it's pointless. Like, we can have this battle, right? Like, we can have this battle, but you don't have the foreknowledge I do. In fact, you know, the best thing, the best way I can explain foreknowledge in this, you know, Jesus is seeing what's happening. He's not real excited about it. You know, he just had this Garden of Gethsemane moment where he is so stressed that he's literally, you know, sweating blood or something as thick as blood. And um, so he's having all this. But foreknowledge, like, have you ever seen, um, like, have you ever been at, uh, like, a, in, a, in a road, and there's a car right in front of you, and it's like turning, right? And in that moment that it's turning, you see the car coming that it doesn't. And you're just like, oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's that, that moment that all of a sudden slows down, and you just see that car get smashed. I mean, I can remember Julie and I being in the car, um, about to turn out of our old house, um, and seeing this exterior get smashed and flip upside down. And in that moment, just thinking, oh, oh, and like wishing you could stop it, right? And I'm um, like, that's what the best picture we have. We, See that it's possibly coming, but that's all we know. Well, Jesus sees everything that's coming, right? And this, he's like, you know, we can have this battle, but it's really pointless. Because I know how this ends, and so there's no reason to really respond, so he continues. But Jesus gave no answer. Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Listen, this is so good. So Pilate's like, boy, look at me when I'm talking to you. Jesus, look at me when I'm talking to you. Do you not understand the words coming out of my mouth? Do you not understand that I have the authority to release you or to kill you? In other words, boy, you see this rod? 
this is where you are. This is where I can take you. You understand the irony of this? This man who has very little power, who's scared to death, is telling Jesus how sovereign he is. Boy, do you understand that I, I had the power? Look how Jesus answers it. You know, I think he pushes a little bit of a button here because Jesus has been quiet. That's what he says. I love this. Verse 11, Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, whoever delivered me over to you has a greater sin. In other words, look, you, you think somehow you have some power to kill me. The only authority that you may have in this moment is because you're not sovereign, but because my daddy is. That's what he's saying. The only power you got came from above, from my dad, from me. The only power you could possibly have is not about your sovereignty, but it's about mine. For some reason, we have chosen to allow you to be in this spot in this moment. For 2,000 years, preachers are going to be talking about you, Pilate. It has nothing to do with your authority or your wise decision making. So if you want to talk about power and authority, the only power and authority you may even slightly have comes from above. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. Smart move, Pilate. Oh, okay, yeah, I guess <laughs> you want to go because if, if you're really, if you're God's son, like I've seen how a mama bear responds to like her little baby bear getting beat up. You know what I'm saying? If like there's any kind of, like if, if God, the father's nature is anything like a mama bear, then I want out of this. So from then on, Pilate tried to release him. Then the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Who's the real king is what they're saying, right? Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. Verse 13. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement <clears throat> in an Aramaic, you know, Gabbatha. Uh, verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, so imagine this. You've got to see the picture of this Jesus beaten and bloody. He already had this interaction. Brings him out. Pilate brings Jesus out in front of the Jews and he says this. Behold your king. Verse 15, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate, again, for clarity's sake, says, shall I crucify your king? This is their response. The chief priests of the Jews, God's chosen people, who God had protected, who God had been sovereign over their nation, who God had continued to release them from captivity and bondage. Those Jews, this is what they said. We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to be crucified. In other words, whoa, 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 no. At this point, Caesar's our best bet at sovereignty. Caesar's the one who's going to bend the rules to play the best game of what we want now. So in this moment, they just say, we don't answer to anybody but Caesar. You know, this is hard for us to understand because we live in a world without a king, right? We have checks and balances, and I'm sure you all have different opinions on how well you think that's working. And we have all these different deals, but ultimately it's still the same thing, right? The Jews in this moment had to choose allegiance to one of two things, either Caesar or to God. And they're like, no, no, it doesn't look like God's going to help us in this deal, but I know Caesar will. It doesn't look like God's going to give us our fix in this moment, but Caesar will. And so they kind of just surrendered and said, no, 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 Caesar's the king. And I just thought, you know, man, like starting up in a new place, trying to help people understand why we're here as a church, all those things. I just thought, you know, what I, what I really want to happen 
And so what I really hope would happen is that somehow I could help you see that there's really already only two decisions you got. You got a worldly king, Caesar, and you got Jesus. And so let me just, I'm not trying to persuade you, but let me just give you a, a few quick arguments. And let me, let me also be clear that, okay, maybe you don't bow and kiss someone's foot, Right? But we're hundreds of thousands of dollars in the debt because we think somehow our value is found in it and our worth is found in it. And we don't, we don't really say, <clears throat> no, God, we don't like you, but we say, hey, you wait a second because we have 10 other things that are a lot more important that we'd like to focus on right now. And here's the crazy part. We live in a world, okay, <clears throat> that tells you if you put your mind to it and you work hard enough, you can achieve anything. Anything. And guess what? The world's right. You want abs? Do a lot of crunches. Eat a lot of chicken. Run a lot. And if that doesn't work, go get surgery. Right? You want to look pretty? Have you seen that extreme makeover face edition or whatever it used to be? I mean, it was before the home edition one. You know what I'm talking about? See it? Work hard enough, right? You can look just like Ken or just like Barbie. If you work really hard, you can look just like Jared Pickard. <laughs> it's a lot of work, though. But you know, like, <clears throat> if you <clears throat> go to school long enough, if you, you know, if you get educated enough, it doesn't matter if you're poor, you're rich, if you do enough, finally you can arrive at this place where you think you have, you, you have value, right? And in some ways, this world, you do. And so the fear is that, like, maybe this isn't, because of our definition of success, this is, a, this is going to be a tough sell for you. But the Bible says that Satan is the author of this world and the, and the ruler of this world and the author of, I'm sorry, Satan is the ruler of this world, world and the author of lies. And so somehow Satan has convinced us Ameri- the American dream is king. So let me just offer you some things. Why should you... Choose and submit and trust king over anything else. Here's the first reason. With Jesus as king, we have hope. Real hope. Guaranteed it. Because he's competent, he's capable, he walks with foreknowledge and sovereignty, and there's this really cute marriage of those two words called providence. When you take foreknowledge and you take power and you put a God who has those things and you combine them, you have a God who's providential, meaning he sees everything and he's moving and everything. So with Jesus, you have hope. The stock market, you don't. In your boss, you don't. In your spouse, you don't. In your kids, you don't. In the housing market, you don't, right? So in Jesus as king, you have hope. You find it somewhere else that you can guarantee that's consistent that will happen, then it makes sense you chase after it. In Jesus, you have hope. Second is you have freedom. The same thing that is so ironic that these, these Jews are celebrating the Passover, which is God basically freeing them, and then they're saying, oh, nope, we don't really have God as king anymore. Now it's, now it's Caesar because he's more beneficial to us, right? But the very thing that Jesus offers is freedom. The very thing that, hey, without him, we are a slave to our sin and bondage. Like we are, we are stuck. But Jesus, you have freedom. Here's why. Can you predict tomorrow? How many of you try to? How much of your time today will be spent worrying about tomorrow or next week or taxes or any of those things? Can you predict any of them? Guess who can? 
So wouldn't it make a lot more sense that we rest in Jesus and find freedom in that and let Jesus deal with those things? Right? So in Jesus, we have freedom. Third one is in Jesus, we have value. The Bible said that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible also says that greater love has no man than this, that he laid down his life for his friend. And we all understand that value is what someone's willing to pay for something. So we, I mean, I love trading. I love bartering. I love that deal. But like right now, if I were to try to convince you that convince you that you should pay $60 for my Converse All-Stars, I'm thinking you're probably not going to jump on that deal, are you? They're all sweaty and gross. My wife won't even let me keep them inside. So I'm like, hey, I'll sell these for your $100. And you're like, yeah. Are you going to crack? Is that why you want the $100? Because I can't imagine how you think $100 is coming from these shoes, right? But we understand that value has everything to do with what someone was willing to pay for something. Well, the Bible tells us that the God of this universe paid the price for you. I, was, I mean, I'm not, I'm not sh- taking a shot at any politician, but Barack Obama is not going to lay down his life for you. In fact, he's been told it's stupid for him to lay down his life for you. Something bad happens, you know what he goes to? A really secure room because he's the most important guy in our country, right? Not even arguing it. We get that. I've watched the West Wing. I understand how it all works, right? But Barack Obama is not going to jump out in front of a car for you. It would be unwise and actually maybe even unconstitutional. But the king of the world did. So in Christ you have freedom, you have hope, and you have value. Fourth one is we have victory. You know, I, don't, I hate losing. In fact, I don't play basketball. I was just talking to some people, uh, a basketball coach in, in the Fayette, and I was just thinking, I almost went back in there and said, hey, when do you all play pickup games? But then I thought, oh, no, I weigh 220 pounds. I'm really out of shape. I will hurt something, I will tear something, and I will lose. And as I'm losing, I will use words I shouldn't use, and then they're going to say, hey, what do you do for a living? And I'm going to have to say I'm a pastor, right? Because I'm a really bad loser. <laughs> like, I'm a really, I'm, like, you're laughing, and I'm like, no, really, it doesn't matter. Like, I am a really bad loser. And so, like, the idea of being on a team that doesn't win is really, really rough for me. Like, we're talking about a church softball team right now. I would love to play. And you're welcome to play if you're really good. <laughs> Let me clear on that again. Man, I would love for us to have a church softball team, and I'd love for you to play if you're really, really good. The way that we'll know is if someone's paid you to come play softball on their team before, we want you on ours. That's simple, right? Because I want to win, right? And the thing is, is like there is only there's a in, in the end of this deal, there really is only two categories. There's people who Jesus had paid for and we've surrendered to who win, and people who Jesus paid for who ignored it, who lose, right? And so we're guaranteed victory in the deal. This is the only king who guarantees victory and says, I have already fought that battle. How, well, how did you how do you know that, Jesus? I am I have foreknowledge. I'm already there. It's already won. Read the end of the book. I've already written the end of the book and it's already happened, right? Like, I already have victory. Why would you go anywhere else? With Jesus as king, we have victory, right? You know, the interesting thing is I was thinking about this, and um, let me explain to you this way. I lived in Calhoun 10 years ago, and I promise we're wrapping up. I, I lived in Calhoun 10 years ago, and um, and uh, with my parents, or 12, 13 years ago. And uh, it's a sad story. Especially if you really like animals, okay? Um, <laughs> wow, I mean, I, it's, it's not that, I'm now, like, don't laugh at this story because it's really not funny. If you laugh, like, especially if you're dating or married to someone who loves animals, like, 
really, we're going to have to have counseling sessions after this, and I'm not a good counselor. You know what I'm going to say? You should have kept your mouth shut. Why don't you slap him in the face? <laughs> right? And so um, when we had, we were babysitting. I, I got to sit down for this. Uh, we were babysitting. Um, my, my sister's American Bulldog, right? My sister's older than me. She has three kids. They love this dog. <clears throat> so anyway, long story short, it's the middle of winter. The dog had to use the bathroom, so we stuck it out on the back porch so I'd use the bathroom, right? And you got to see the setting of our backyard. For some reason, my, my dad's crazy. I love him. But, like, every house is like, let's go rent a house. Let's go buy some sand. Let's put in an above-ground pool. Like, those are the steps to us, like, the first three weeks we were in a house, right? So he built a deck. And we put this little above-ground pool that was, like, eight by eight. And because um, we didn't have running water inside, that's how we bathed, you know. We're, I was joking. Um, and so um, the, 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 we let the dog out, middle of the winter, had a tarp over the, the pool. And then we went back to get the dog. It wasn't there, okay? We assumed, oh, gosh, I got on the fence. We looked that up for like two or three days, four days, right? We can't find it. My sister gets back from vacation, and she's like, hey, where's the dog? And we're like, don't know where the dog is. And she was like, that's okay. I didn't really like the dog anyway, but, my, you know, my, um, my kids do. And so she tells the story, right, this story. It's okay, honey. The dog went to live on a farm with kids who really love it. That's what she's, you know, like that story, you know that story, right? Oh, no, no, they're not dead. They're just on a really big farm. They're having so much fun. They're running with sheep, you know, or whatever that is, right? Well, unfortunately, after a few days with my dad and I both have incredible logic skills, uh, uh, we figured after about a week, not, we thought, oh, man, that tarp has kind of fallen in. I wonder what happened. Yeah, don't laugh. See, some of you. The dog had fallen into the pool and couldn't get out. Horrible story. Like, you know, and some of you are like fighting back a smile, and you're like, I'm not even sure I want to smile. I shouldn't smile at this. You're right. You shouldn't. And so I remember having to pull that dog out, which a 100-pound bulldog waterlogged is really heavy. And we had to take it, and we put it in the back of my dad's truck, but we didn't know where to take it. We're like, do we take this to a dump? I'm so embarrassed to tell you the rest of the story. So instead of taking it to a dump, we just drove down a dirt road for a really long time, right? Wrapped in a blue tarp. And just dumped it in a ditch. Terrible. I know. Like, makes no sense. Like, I have no idea. I'm like, if someone watched us do that, they really would, like, it's horrible. Like, one of the most horrible stories. Well, the reason I tell you this is because we all have this idea that, well, there's a farm, and it's all good. And we tell you, there's a God, and there's a cute heaven when you get there. And you're kind of like, yeah, whatever. You know, like, it's really hard to buy into that. Well, yesterday, we went to Collinsville, my wife and I. And uh, the, the, the two kids, Briggs and Amelia, they go get some fruit trees because I want lots of fruit trees on our property. And we have a farm. We have goats, all sorts of stuff. And we were walking by, and there's some interesting things about Collinsville if you've ever been to trade day. Like it is, I mean, I, I call it smoke day. I don't know if anybody else calls it that because, like, I'm just navigating smoke everywhere. Like I'm walking, and I'm, like, telling my kids not to breathe. Don't breathe. Don't breathe. You know, like that's where I am. Like I'm, like, because it's just people that's walking around smoking everywhere, and I'm, like, holding my kid's mouth, and I'm probably doing more damage than that smoke is because he gets, like, one breath every 45 seconds. Uh, and so, um. So we get up the hill and we're looking at all sorts of stuff and there's this guy sitting, this kid sitting in the back of a, a truck, a really odd scene. All these people keep walking by and touching this animal. And all I keep saying is, Great Pyrenees, $40. Great Pyrenees, $40, which I thought was a good deal. And like there's all these people touching it and like smoking in its face. I mean, come on, dog, you can come home with us. Take $10 for it. You know, that kind of deal. Like I'm watching the negotiation. And I thought, oh my goodness, you know what? This dog is like questioning every single bit of this. And I thought, I got a farm with goats, you know what I'm saying, and kids that will play with it. I'm like, I have dog heaven. Like, dog heaven belongs to me. I better do something about this. And so we got this dog. Will you pull it up? Let's just let's see, let's see where it is. This is Topanga, if you're wondering. We, 
We plan on uh, breeding uh, Great Pyrenees and Topanga Cory, you understand, right? If, if you're, if, okay. So that is Amelia bringing home uh, Topanga right there. And I thought, you know, like this dog like showed up yesterday. The last one sold. I mean, it was a, it was a crap shoot for in terms of luck, right? Like she could have gone anywhere and done anything. And I'm like, oh my gosh, we saved this dog. And I like, I feel like the, like the victor, right? Well, I look at Jesus, and he's like, you know, so many people have looked at us and said, eh, they're valuable because they sing. Oh, they're not valuable because they're not smart. Oh, that person can't spell. Oh, that person can't talk. Oh, that person can't do that. And Jesus just looks at us and says, you have no clue. In fact, that's what he says. It's in 2 Corinthians. Uh, here it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. I just want you to read this verse to you. It's right, right above my head. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. That's the reason Jesus is king. Look, you can't even imagine, like much better than Topanga getting a farm with some goats and a little bit of land and two kids who roll around with her, you know? Like you can't even imagine what God the king has in store for those who love him. Reason we trust him as king? Because he's victor. He's already in the future. He's already preparing it. And the last reason it matters is because we have purpose. I mean, isn't that really always the question for us anyway? What is it we're supposed to do with our lives? We know what you should do with your lives. You should follow the king. And so one of our battles here is, is that we never want to just give you a bunch of information, give you some goosebumps, and just kind of send you in your way and say, figure it out. And so as we were talking through this material, one of the questions came up, well, how do we apply this? How do we apply Jesus as king, right? And I'm like, well, simple. Well, we all should follow Jesus. But that's different for all of you. And so let me just ask you this question. I want you to answer it honestly. What is it about King Jesus that just amazes you? Is it that he forgave people really easily? Is it that he served people really easily? He sat down and looked people in the eyes and really cared about them? Is it that he sacrificed really easily? That he lived on very little very easily? I don't know what it is. What is it personally? I'm asking you to answer this question during worship. What is it that amazes you about our king? Like, what is it about Jesus that amazes you? Because that's what I think you should do this week. Period. Want to know what you should do with this message? Celebrate because God is good and he's trusted us. And he's entrusted us with his kingdom, right? But more than that, what do I actually think your hands and feet should do this week? The same thing Jesus has did. So what is it? What is it this week that you see and that you process that when you see Jesus, King, who's greater and higher, who there is no one like, when you see Jesus, what is it that you see? And you should go and mimic that this week. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray that God speaks boldly to you. They're going to lead you in this last song, which is a song that we just sang beforehand. We want you to be prepared for it so you can respond well. And there's going to be some moments to respond. And then we're going to get out of here. Just let me pray. Jesus, you're kind and you're gracious and you're loving. And God, I I can think of nothing that you'd rather do right now than speak to us and have us listen and respond. So Jesus, in this moment, would you just reveal to us your plans? Jesus, in this moment, would you just tell us clearly what it is you'd have us to do? God, for some people right now, they never knew they had hope or freedom or victory or value or purpose. And today, with you as king, they can have a God, your word says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls you king is saved. And so, God, for some, maybe the first step is just to call you king. 
then God, then the step is, man, what is it about you that is so amazing? God, would, would you reveal that to us? And would you give us the wisdom and courage to serve people the same way that you did? Would you give us the wisdom and courage to walk in the same confidence in our Father as you did? Would you give us that wisdom and discernment, God? And then would you give us the courage this week to follow through with it? God, would you change this region by helping us be like your son? Jesus, would you change this region by helping us be like you? We acknowledge and we confess and we believe and we are confident that there is no one higher. There is no one greater. There is no one like you, God. You're Christ our Savior. You are glorious. And God, as we respond, we mean these words because they are true and they are in our heart because you are king and we are glad you're king. And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Would you stay with me?